Every year, the cultural conversation about the Super Bowl takes, well, two different paths. There's the game itself, which usually draws about 100 million, 110 million people to watch it. And full disclosure, we're recording this before the Super Bowl. So if there was a great comeback, if there was a crazy halftime show, uh, we don't know we about don't know. it yet. So, <laughs> so, so we can't reveal it. We're not talking about that today. No spoilers. <laughs> but then there's the ads, right? And we can probably all think about our favorite Super Bowl ads from days gone by. Mine typically involve Clydesdales and dogs, even though yes. I'm not a big fan Puppies. of that particular beverage. Uh, you know, they stick in our memory. And, and sometimes, you know, there have been plenty of Super Bowls that were so boring that the ads were the best part of the, the highlights. Game. <laughs> yeah. And True. it might sound like I'm setting us up to talk about Super Bowl ads in general today, but I'm not. But I am because I want to talk about something that has emerged in the last few years that I think is really culturally significant. Well, hey, everyone, this is Adam Holtz, the host of The Plugged In Show. And each week we get together to talk about pop culture, technology and entertainment. And we are glad that you are here today to join us in this interesting conversation about a particular kind of ad. Um, I don't know if you have noticed but in the last couple of years, it feels like every time I watch a football game, I'm bombarded with ads for online gambling. And how could you not notice? I know, right? And I'm like, <laughs> apparently Jamie Foxx is not doing movies anymore. He's only yeah, doing right. ads for online gambling companies. <laughs> and making more money. And making more money. And Ben Affleck and Shaquille O'Neal and that sort of thing. And on on one level, I think, okay, it's just another ad for another thing. But on another level, I think it's important for us to talk about this because I think it represents a cultural sea change in our attitudes towards gambling. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about where that came from and some of the things that we may want to think about as our kids internalize these ads as well. And in our second segment today, uh, our very own Paul AC is going to be telling us about a new movie based on a famous, perhaps the most famous, Agatha Christie novel. One of the most famous, to Death be sure. on the Nile. Um, and I should say that I'm joined today by Paul A.C., Bob Hoos, and Jonathan McKee. So, guys, thanks for joining me today. Hello, hello. Well, let's talk about this phenomena of online gambling. I think at some point during the football season this year, I had this sort of light bulb go on. I'm like, what in the world? Is there no more car ads or insurance <laughs> ads or even beer ads? It's just wall-to-wall -wall gambling ads. What's going on here? Because it didn't used to be that way, and it feels like this is a fairly new thing. So can you guys give me some background on, on some of the changes that have happened culturally? Well, I think one of the things is that uh, the Supreme Court had that case where they essentially said, okay, it's all right for you to gamble on sports now. Okay, uh, And once that happened then the floodgates were opened. Yeah, okay. e exactly. I think what the Supreme Court decided to do was say, the federal government can't limit this stuff, right? It's going to be up to the states. And so far, something like 30, yeah, 30 states have, 30 have states. sort of opened yeah. up the doors yeah. to to online sports gambling. Of one form or another, mm -hmm. yeah. And that decision was handed down in late 2017. And so it began to come into effect in 2018. So if it feels like, wait a minute, we didn't used to have all these online gambling ads. Yeah. 
you're right. You weren't just like missing them. <laughs> that is a new thing culturally. So guess how much money Americans have spent on online gambling since that ruling came out in 2017? Since the ruling? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, man. I'm uh, just going to hazard $45 billion. Okay. Anybody else want to <laughs> oh guess? And we can play Prices Right. And if you're <laughs> over, you don't get to do the Showcase Showdown. <laughs> 60 billion. No, 46. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? One dollar. One dollar. Somewhere Bob Barker is smiling. <laughs> That's right. Uh, $60 billion. Okay. Jonathan, do you have a guess? I have no clue. All right. The answer is $65 billion. Oh, oh I should have said so 61. You are the closest I would have been going over. You get the car. <laughs> and uh, we're going to give you a, well, it's, it's a small car. It's a matchbox car, but I'll give it to you later. Speaking of gambling. <laughs> exactly. That, that's unbelievable. Billion with a B. With a B. Yeah. And to put that in perspective, during the same time, the box office in North America made about $30 billion. Wow. Now, that was lower than normal because of COVID. But in a typical year pre-COVID, the box office has been consistently around 11 to $12 billion. Mm. So oh. we're talking not a small amount of money. Right. It's a massive yeah. amount yeah. of money. Um, so how have you seen over the course of your lifetime attitudes towards gambling change? Because I don't think it used to be this way. I, I agree. I See, I think, I think there was a... Uh, a certain sense that gambling could be a problem and was a problem. I think that that is a I, problem. Yeah, I think and I think, will be uh, a problem. There, basically, exactly. Covered. There you go. <laughs> I, I think that that was very common, uh, not only with adults but with kids too, especially with kids. That when you when you sort of tiptoed into that arena where you were gambling and and throwing your money around, even when you went to Las Vegas, you were going to walk away having lost. Yeah, and potentially finding yourself in a problem. Yeah. And, and the thing that, that was interesting about Las Vegas, and because it was kind of a place that you had to take a trip to because it was before all these casinos popped up everywhere, you know, it was kind of a a vacation thing. It was like, okay, the once a year that someone would venture out to Las Vegas, lose all right. their money, and it only right. happened once, as opposed to being readily available on a screen. Yeah, that's a huge difference. And I know, just thinking back on my youth and – I grew up in a small town in Iowa, which in some ways I think is probably fairly representative of a pretty big swath of our country. Sure. And growing up in the 70s and 80s, I don't know that I ever heard a sermon on it or anything like that, but there was just sort of this attitude that gambling wasn't something that nice people did. Yeah. Like it was kind of maybe dirty is too strong a word, but it was kind of nasty. Uh, and I remember even when the lottery came to Iowa in the mid 80s, it felt like that was the beginning of a sea change in attitudes toward gambling in our culture. Right. Um, and then shortly after that, at least in Iowa, on a number of, of Native American reservations, in Iowa at least, uh, we began to see casinos pop up and mm -hmm. riverboat gambling started. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that you went, like Jonathan was saying, to Las Vegas or Atlantic City. That was about it before yeah. the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, and so culturally, things were changing. And with the advent now of you know, gambling advertisements every other minute on TV, 
if you still have cable out there. But even in streaming services, you'll see gambling ads. And you've got gambling apps that you can download to your phone. With that advent, it's sort of a normalizing effect right. where, yeah, right. where everybody is sort of stepping away saying, oh, this isn't so bad. It's, it's fun. It's like a game. It's like a game. Yeah. So mm. many games mm. these days have a certain gambling aspect to them. And so it's it, these gaming apps uh, or gambling apps are almost an extension of that. You know, you've got games that, that sell loot boxes, for example. And in yep. a way, that's a form of gambling, yep. uh, like the first steps mm. of gambling, because you purchase these loot boxes with your own money, hoping that you get something really special that'll help you in your game. Right. And uh, that is gambling. It's a very interesting form of gambling, but you're, you're putting your money down for some sort of return. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a very natural next step. And I know, I know parents, again, they don't think that this stuff will ever really reach to their kids when they see these ads and all this other stuff. Primarily because they're thinking, well, okay, it's illegal for them to game. It's illegal for them to get on there and gamble. But the truth of the matter is, especially with some of these apps, there are ways to circumvent that. There was a there was an organization that actually did a study where they posed as a 14-year-old and set up an account un- as a 14-year-old and were still able to circumvent the rules and be able to deposit money on the app and withdraw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and when I think about that, even if it was like ironclad that kids, like real underage kids, couldn't use these gambling sites, the yeah. idea that the kids are not gambling, I think, is wrong. Because I remember as I was a kid, I was betting with my friends on, you know, the NCAA tournament. You know, this Mm. happens Mm. and it becomes sort of a part of the culture. I think an important point to bring up is that the games themselves, right, when we talk about the world of gambling, the games themselves are not the problem. I think the problem really is when you bring the money into it. Yeah. Uh, it can be really corrupting, not only to to the people who play it. It can be a tax on people who can't do math very well. There's been studies that have shown that people who gamble tend to come from the lower socioeconomic stratosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes an issue where, where the poor become poorer because they're betting on this. So it becomes this tax essentially on the poor. But you also have this situation where when you talk about sports gambling, it can corrupt the sports themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You no, know? Yeah. That's absolutely right. And and I want to just say, uh, I want to riff a little bit on what you're saying. Scripture talks about it as not being a wise use of the resources that God has entrusted to us. So there's a stewardship angle. But I think that we also need to at least acknowledge that this is a system that enslaves people. And, you know, is there a problem if I go out to eat and there's, there happens to be a slot machine there and I drop a quarter? No, like Jonathan, I'm not going to drop the moral hammer on that. But I think it is a conversation worth having of if you're participating in a system that enslaves people, what is your responsibility toward that? And I think that's a maybe playing kind of the meta game in terms of how we talk with our kids about this. It's like, okay. This has consequences for you, but it may have consequences for other people too in ways that you don't realize. Well, and your your wording there is perfect. It's a conversation worth having. This is just, again, where we got to go back to that parenting principle of uh, this is where we really need to 
turn our overreaction into interaction. We need to not freak out. We need to not badmouth every time a commercial comes on. Oh, what are they doing? Because very often what that might do is that might distance us from our kids and our kids might just be like, oh, dad doesn't understand. He's so old school or mom doesn't understand. But what we can do is we can go interesting and we could do the math with our kids. We can engage them in conversation about this. We can kind of look at the truth of the situation because honestly, many ads really just kind of lean on the lies. And if we could just kind of expose that, and we don't need to do that every time it comes on, but we should be proactive about having these conversations. And and we can start it young too. Right. I mean, we're, we're talking, I would suggest Kids as young as nine, you could talk about this because that's when they're beginning to to develop those cognitive choices and decision-making processes. But again, I would also recommend that it be short conversations. Right. You know, and just like Jonathan, Age appropriate. Yes. And just like Jonathan was saying, though, you can use something that you see on TV like every other commercial and use it as a springboard into, <laughs> into a short conversation about uh, this topic without you know, hammering anything down, just raising good questions to asking them about uh, the right and wrong of things and then let them work with it from there. Well, and the thing that we could be doing from, I mean, I remember, you know, probably four years old, five years old, when I would get like a little allowance for, I literally remember getting a dollar and my dad would pay it to us in change. And he taught us now take a dime of this because that's 10%. And save it. And we literally would save it and take a dime of this and we're going to give it back to God because that's our tithe. And so from the first time I ever got money, I remembered that I got 80% because I saved 10 and I gave 10. (laughs) So I was being taught the right thing to do with money. And when you're taught the right thing, when you're taught truth, you kind of recognize lies. So start teaching your kids truth about money right away. I think that's exactly right. And I think as Bob was saying, there are teachable moments all over the place here. Yeah. You know, if we're paying attention to culture, there may be things happening that we don't really like. I don't like that there are ads for online gambling. And maybe it will evolve the same way cigarette ads did. At some point, somebody's going to wake up and call a timeout and say, actually, these ads are terrible for us as yeah, a culture, yeah. and we're not going to have them anymore. But we're certainly not at that place at this moment. And so there's a media discernment conversation to be had. Just what's the worldview? What are the ideas here? And this is, this would be for kids who are older. Like I'm to the point with my kids where I use the word worldview and they kind of roll their eyes, but, uh, <laughs> but, but they got it. And sometimes I'll listen to my kids critique commercials and I'm like, okay, my work here is through now. Um, <laughs> but it's an, it's an ongoing process. And I think as we have talked about in previous conversations on our podcast, we have a responsibility to know how our kids are interacting with their technology. So all of the basic things that we have ever said on the Plugged In Show about not having phones in rooms, not having phones in rooms overnight, uh, the mm-hmm. protective filtering, all of those things I think come into play here yeah. as well because they provide guardrails. They provide some amount of safety that our kids aren't going to go out and just you know rack up a $3,000 gambling bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the vast majority of us, that probably won't happen, but for some kids that will happen. And uh, hopefully this conversation today has given you some anchor points as a family to think about, 
huh, I had never thought about that, how that's influencing our thinking toward this issue, how my kids might be processing it, and why it's important to talk about that and the related issues of stewardship and how we handle money. So um, again, maybe there's more going on behind that Jamie Foxx commercial than we realized. Uh, And instead of just shaking my fist at the TV, (laughs) I think there is a good conversation to be had. So thanks, gentlemen, for talking this one through. You bet. Well, in our second segment today, uh, we are going to talk about death. Death. Death on the river. Specifically, (laughs) the River Nile. So, Paul, I want you to give us an overview and what we need to be thinking about. But I also want to ask a sort of parallel question that you can begin to to address as well. And that's, uh, you know, with murder mysteries, they have kind of an old-fashioned feel to them. And I know that you are... You're an Agatha Christie aficionado. I dig Agatha Christie. Um, I love my little murders. Yeah. So I want to know yeah. about the movie, but I also want to know about how maybe there are things in the movie that aren't in the book if you're a fan and, and that sort of interaction. So tell us about it. So Death on the Nile. This is the second Agatha Christie adaptation from Kenneth Branagh, who uh, who was nominated for a gazillion Academy Awards for Belfast. Um Death on the Nile is is really the story of this heiress. Lynette Ridgway is her name. And she is That she, sounds like an expensive name. <laughs> and does, she does. she is very wealthy. She is fabulously beautiful. She's played by Gal Gadot, who we remember from Wonder Woman. And she is introduced to this guy named Simon Doyle uh, by her good friend Jacqueline. Uh she eventually steals him away from Jacqueline and marries him. Oh, boy. Jacqueline Somebody's going to die. I can (laughs) feel it. It's a bad thing. And Jacqueline (laughs) is not very happy with the whole relationship. They get married. They go off to Egypt. They spend their honeymoon on the Nile. And Jacqueline is there every step of the way. Now, here's here's the thing. (laughs) Because, Because Lynette is so rich and so powerful, there's a lot of people who want her dead. And Oddly enough, they're all on this boat with her. So weird. She brings them along, but she also brings along a certain detective named Hercule Poirot. Mother, you must meet Hercule Poirot. Why? He's only the greatest detective alive. Oh, he exaggerates. No, he's quite correct, actually. You're quite the most ludicrous man I have ever seen. Not the first time I've heard this. So we do know that a murder takes place. He has a mustache, right? A great mustache. He has a great mustache. (laughs) That's awesome. We get an origin story for that mustache actually here. That's fantastic. That's why I want to see it. (laughs) Or maybe not. Tell me more, Paul. (laughs) As you might have guessed, someone gets murdered. Mm. You probably know who it might be already. Maybe so. But it's not the only murder that takes place. Oh, no. So So it should be called Death's. Deaths on the Nile. It's up to Hercule Poirot to figure out what is going on on this boat and solve it. So what is going on on the boat? There's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of duplicity. And oddly enough, maybe not necessarily on the boat, but in the in the movie, there is a surprising amount of sensuality. This is not something that you would necessarily find in the Agatha Christie novel. I don't think that. Agatha Christie was particularly fond of putting sex scenes in her books, uh, but you do have some very sensual dancing. You have some double entendres that were not present. The deaths themselves are not 
overly graphic, but you do see more blood, more pain than you might expect. Um, oftentimes within these sort of parlor room murder mysteries, you just find this dead body. It's almost just like that there's this thing. Once. It's like a briefcase that Who you see in the guy. floor, right? But here you feel the death a little bit more extremely. And so you do have some of that to navigate as well. A little bit of swearing, a lot of drinking. Uh, so you do have some elements that parents should definitely watch out for. The sensuality was what surprised me the most, though, I and think. It's, but it's PG-13. It is PG-13. So it's... And again, it still brings that sort of Christie-type vibe to it. It feels much more like a whodunit. So a lot of the, the sensuality that you see was completely unnecessary. Mm. But it's there. So you got to navigate it. Well, it feels like a great reminder that the PG-13 rating is incredibly broad, mm -hmm. right? You can get away with a lot and squeeze a lot in. And it certainly doesn't sound like, you know, the most gratuitous PG-13 no. movie we've ever seen. But... Also enough there that it's a good reminder. It's PG-13 for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, even though it's Agatha Christie, you probably don't want to take your kids to this one. It's a really strange vibe because you do see some dance scenes that, that would make Miley Cyrus maybe blush a little bit. Ooh. You know, and, and you do have a same-sex couple that's involved. You don't see very much of that. It's just sort of part of the plot, but it's still there. So you do have some elements the parents will definitely want to watch out for. It's, it's unfortunate, really, because there are a lot of young readers who love mysteries and love yeah, Agatha yeah, Christie. Sure. So it's really unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. And again, I, I don't want to hammer this movie too hard. As you say, Adam, it's not... It's it's certainly not the worst PG-13 movie out there, but definitely if you're expecting a traditional Agatha Christie story, this departs from tradition a little bit. All right. Well, Paul, thanks for letting us know about that one. Well, now it's time for that part of the show we like to call the Pop Culture Connection. And here is how it's going to work. Paul, you had the joy of participating last week. So you I did, are, yes. You are already up to speed on the... Hey, I think it was pretty fun, so I'm not sure I appreciate your sarcasm here. I, 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 anyway, Paul already knows, but uh, Bob and Jonathan, here's what we're going to do. We are going to pull out a question from the proverbial hat. At some point, we'll get a real hat, but we don't have one yet. So we're going to just pretend once more. And a it's a top question hat. Top hat. that oh, yeah. uh, is somehow related to pop culture. Some of them have kind of a parenting takeaway some of them are just merely whimsical for the sake of being whimsical. And it might be a question like, so which is better, you know, The Last Jedi or Return of Skywalker? Oh, I know the answer to that Right, one. I know. You and I could have a whole podcast Last on Jedi that. Last Jedi all the way. And for each reason you give, you get a point. And our producer, Ashley Bazer, is going to be asking the questions and scoring and um, just like the accounting firm of Ernest and Hobbes, she does a great job doing this objectively. See, I think the reason why I was a little sarcastic is I don't think I won last week, and I really should have. No, I won. It was yeah. a really great week for me. Do, that do, we, do we call out our name or raise our hand no, to answer the question? No, Ashley will give each one of us a question. Oh, so great. We, we all have a different question so that nobody has an unfair advantage except perhaps me because I wrote the question. But that, you wrote the question. Yeah, but we will, we will rectify that in previous weeks. Anyway, I am belaboring it. I think it's time <laughs> that we get on with it because okay. this is a super fun thing. All right? All right. All right, gentlemen, are you ready? Here's the ready. first question, and I'm going to choose Adam uh -oh. to go first. Ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh, ooh. Pressure. Adam, your question is, 
you're stranded permanently in Antarctica, albeit with electricity, food, and heat. Yay. <laughs> you get one decade's TV shows, but only one. Which decade do you pick and why? Well, the obvious answer is the 80s, but I'm not going to go with the obvious answer. I'm going to go with the 70s, and I'm going to tell you why. Love Boat, Happy Days reruns, <laughs> Six Million Dollar Man, also the Six Million Dollar Man, um... Oh, boy, there were other shows, but I'm totally blanking. Love both Chips. <laughs> chips. Who could forget Chips? Um, and Mash Reruns, which as a child I didn't understand, but as an adult I can fully appreciate. Wow. That was impressive. <laughs> Thank but you. Why did you say $6 million man twice? Because I wanted two points. Oh. See, so you'll have oh. to decide. He's cheating. Yeah. Yeah. cheating. Just one, probably. Yeah. Uh-huh. You also said The Love Boat twice. That's an 80s show. 77. Look it up. Oh, oh, wow. Well, do you, wow. do you only get the first two seasons then, or does it extend into the 80s? I think we're overthinking the question. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right, Adam, you're, you're getting five points I got five points. Five points. Five points. All right. Adam's the one to beat at this point, although yeah. he's the only one who's gone so far. Right? Well, it's like, he, and since it's he like wrote in the, the Olympics, everybody's a gold medalist when they go first, <laughs> and right? Since, right. And, and since he wrote the questions, guess who's going to win? Exactly. Okay. All right. So, Mr. Hoos, yeah. how about you go next? All right. Awesome. Your question is, what do you think is the best Pixar movie for families and why? Well, that one's an easy one. That's The Incredibles, in my opinion. And uh, the reason why is that it's all about a family. It's all about a family, and it's about a family coming together and working together, not only as heroes, but as family members who are learning to express themselves and, and the amount of love they have for each other that sometimes they take for granted. Wow, you have time left. Oh, well... <laughs> plus, plus it's it's fun and things explode. <laughs> plus it's two more points and, right at the end at the and buzzer. Jack, 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 and Jack, Jack, Jack. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to give you seven points. Ooh. Seven points. All of the things. Oh, wasn't that, that just one answer? Oh my oh, goodness. It was one answer, but he had multifacets so to it. Well, thank you goodness. very much. Yes. Wow. All right. All I've, right. I'm going to lose this game. <laughs> no, no, no. I am going to lose this game again. Uh, that is right. Well, you'll have to wait to lose this game because I'm going to choose Jonathan next. Ooh, oh, goody. Jonathan, your yes. question is a little bit more extensive. Oh, no. It's a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. You're granted the use of one iconic movie or TV show car for a year. Which of these do you pick and why? The original Batmobile, Kit from Knight Rider, Magnum P.I.'s Ferrari 308, Sean Connery 007's Aston Martin DB5, mm. Roger Moore 007's Lotus Turbo Esprit, Marty McFly's DeLorean DMC12, Cannonball Run's 1979 Lamborghini Countach, The Bandit's 1977 Pontiac Trans Am. And you may start. Well, it's an obvious answer. It's Tom <laughs> Selleck's Ferrari. Because one, you get to be in Hawaii because that's where that car is. Two, <laughs> people are looking at you all the time. Three, maybe if you're lucky, Tom Selleck will be sitting next to you. Four, you could don a mustache like Tom Selleck and people would understand. Five, it's red and it's the best car. Six, it's a convertible. Seven, it's right there on the beach. Eight, it's the fastest of all those cars. Nine, it's not as complex as James Bond's. <laughs> Jonathan, I think you have risen oh to the occasion. Oh, my goodness. And, that was uh, great. I, uh, 
I I think that you picked the wrong car, but man, you sold it well. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You sold it. You yeah, could be a car, car salesman. Wow. Indeed. So, Jonathan, you got nine points. Ooh, nice job. Baby. Paul baby. looks sure like... Looks like a dead no end. No pressure, Paul. This you one, got huh? this, this Paul. Is, I feel like one of those Olympic skaters who goes last and then falls like, after like Nathan five Chen. times. You like know. after Nathan Chen gets 14 quads, yeah, exactly. you have to go skate. This is oh, But, Paul, you've got a great question. Which pop culture villain would you pick as your bridge partner and why? Darth Vader, <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, Agent Smith, the T-1000 Terminator, the Borg Queen, Doctor Doom, HAL 9000, the Joker... Michael Corleone. Oh, I'm going to go HAL 9000. And one of the reasons is is because I figure in somewhere in his computer programming, he actually knows how to play bridge and might be able to help me figure it out. He might have some algorithms that would help kind of figure out what the likelihood. I have no idea how bridge works. So I don't know exactly how, how he could help me, but I figure he would have some sort of tools that would allow me to win if he didn't like a, an Another bridge player? Maybe you could throw him out of the pod bay door? Yeah. <laughs> Three! <laughs> Three! <in> his face. <laughs> Jonathan was counting in the background, and he didn't score you very well, but we'll see what Ashley, our official adjudicator, Three. comes up well, with. I, 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 Based on previous conversations, I knew you were going to pick Hal. I just knew it. <laughs> I funny. almost went with Agent Smith, but I thought... Hal, uh, Hal's probably going to be the guy. Yes. Oh, well, you funny. got five points. So our clear winner this week <laughs> yeah. is Magnum P.I. Jonathan yes. McKee. <laughs> yes. And, and that five and was a Hawaiian gift, shirt up there. <laughs> well, next I week I want you to grow a mustache. Yeah. Oh, there Honestly. you Honestly. <laughs> yeah, but you're not taking me five years. <laughs> Well, that was fun, and I hope as y'all have listened to us today, you have had some fun right along with us, and we just want to say thanks for for joining us for the Plugged In Show. What did you think about our conversation today, unpacking the whole subject of online gambling? Is this something you're concerned about? Is it something that that you're annoyed with when you see the commercials or maybe you hadn't even noticed it. We want to hear from you and you can let us know what you think on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at team at the plugged in show.com. We'd also like to say thank you for being a plugged in show listener. So today for a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of Jonathan Key's book, parenting generation screen, guiding your kids to be wise in a digital world. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on our plugged in blog entry for this week's conversation, or just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. Just as we pick good food for our children, we want to make sure that we're picking good kind of spiritual nutrition for our children as well. And so I think providing them clubhouses has provided some of that spiritual nutrition for them. You can help your kids grow in their faith with Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior Magazines. Great resources for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash clubradio.